for them being downstairs. Yeah. And uh, who you think the open, who was the first persons to uh, um, what would you say? To, I don't know what you call it. To go to go from upstairs to downstairs. Yeah, or? well, to come into the varsity, right? Uh, so you've 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 told me this in passing before, and the thought was always that it was Dick Gregory, right? But you said there was somebody else, right? And I don't remember that name. Uh, Joe Thomas, and I think her first name is Miranda Taylor. Uh huh. And Joe Thomas was a uh, fireman in Carbondale. His father was a minister. He was an opera singer and died overseas. An opera? Wow. Yeah. And his brother David also sings, and he lives in New York now. Been there for many years. It's just the way that people can still leave here and do such amazing things but always be tied to here. Yes, quite a few people. It's more than that. It's like what really this here needs to be um, Carbondale's well and fine, but this is more than Carbondale. This is really the Southern Illinois. Yeah. You know, you got many uh, noted people coming out of um, the Alexander Pulaski County mm -hmm. as well as uh, Centralia Mount Vernon area. Mm -hmm. So this is where the church association speaking about uh, the Mount Olive District of the Baptist was, uh, and I'm not exactly sure if Reverend Davis Church was Baptist or Methodist, I'm somewhat puzzled on that. Reverend Davis was from Cup, and he was also one of those who uh, was very uh, instrumental in my era and the campsite and church affiliations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we, and this is, because this is different than most of the podcasts I do, because I've got, you know pages of notes here usually i'm coming in i'm kind of winging it yeah right just kind of start from there but our conversation on saturday i mean we talked for two and a half hours and we barely scratched the surface right. of your institutional knowledge um and i'm i'm recording now so we're we're good to go um in terms of just the having the conversation and getting it out there you were talking about growing up going to bethel bethel was not my home church my Home church was with my parents was Rock Hill Baptist Church. Okay, all right. But my great great grandmother was at Olivet Free Will Olivet, mm -hmm. and Bethel Basement was the host for the kindergarten. That's where I went to kindergarten there. Then I went to first grade at Thomas School, mm -hmm. and Mr. Thomas married my aunt Juanita Thomas. And so Mr. Thomas was uh, also a Rock Hill member. Mm -hmm. So he's the principal, a Rock Hill member, and married to my aunt. <laughs> I can't do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a short run, Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> and, to, and to this day, still, at 71 years old, can't do nothing, Pepper. Can't do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. I'm going to do the intro real quick on there because I think that's a pretty good spot to uh, – to intro our, our guest for episode 41 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people 
about their interesting lives, and we tie it all back together to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And there are few people that are much more Carbondale than Mr. Melvin Pepper Holder, uh, who is also running for city council in 2021 and part of the broader city council interview series. And I'm... I appreciate you taking the time, Pepper, not just in this conversation here, but really taking the time to 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 get me warmed up to where this conversation needs to go and how much conversation there really is. Well, it's quite a bit to uh, Carbondale history, and I'm glad that you're doing this. There's uh, some others that I wish you could include in doing this here, but maybe you do more of it later. Yeah. Without the election. So uh, this podcast, I mean, this is an ongoing thing. I mean, we're, I started doing this in September. I'd been kind of trying to plan uh, to get this, to to just do this for about two years now. And um, so, yeah, no, this is, is, as soon as I'm done with Ginger's interview tomorrow, assuming I still can't get a hold of the other two folks that I'm trying to get uh, that are, that are council candidates, then, then I'm, then I'm, open skies limit we'll we'll get whoever you've got good suggestions to have come in here whether i whether they need to come in here and talk or whether i need to call them on the phone because they they may not be physically here in carbondale we'll yeah no it's this is exactly what i want to do i want to explore uh, you know not just you know the interesting stories of the individual people but the story of this town as a whole and it's really important to have generational knowledge of what's occurred in this town and you get that by talking to folks from different generations true and perhaps maybe uh in the process of you doing these various different interviews and support i may interview you yeah yeah so (laughs) i I did uh, i had claire i had claire kilman interview me for my city council uh one here but uh, i'm not opposed to doing future conversations where we flip the script uh and and do a little bit uh do a little bit more out of the out of the one-on-one format um because this is, for me, I've I've never been really good about knowing the the full history of, of where I where I come from, right? And again, you're somebody that has uh, the very clear uh, understanding of a lot of components about the history of this town, not just what you've lived, but what has come before you, because you have done very well to document your life and and the folks that have that have yeah. been your ancestors. My aunt, when I first started with WDBX, my aunt called me to the room. Nobody in the house, but she and I. And uh, she almost like was nervous in her own house with <laughs> no one there but me uh-huh. to tell me about the uh, Joe Brinson, Leonard Sizemore incident. I don't know if this is a good place to start with the uh, conversation, but that was really something. And... She said, Pepper, you need to know this. Mm-hmm. So in that passing on that knowledge, passing on that history, I've, re- I've referenced that to say, you know, this is where a lot of the community people and my people rela- re- relations have, uh, you know, told me various different things, plus the firsthand things I've experienced. Yeah, and, and feel comfortable. I mean, if there's, if there's a direction that you want to go right now, <clears throat> carry it. Right. This is this is a wide open conversation that is that is anything that you want uh, to discuss. We discuss here and however much time you want to discuss it. I'm here for that. Well, this is a book. Uh, let me see. Yeah, no, that was that was looking good where you where you okay. had it. Uh, 
in, in unity their strength. Well, this book was uh, put out by Martha Ferris and a book project community chair. She was the ch chair of the community. Uh, now I got me rambling. I do better than that. <laughs> You're all right. <laughs> then I covered the mic up. But anyway, pardon me, excuse me. Martha Ferris was related to Martin Luther King. She lived here in Carbondale for many years. Wow. And she and other women in the community got together to put this history of Carbondale black people into this book, mm -hmm. In Strength There's Unity. So um, one of the persons who really did a document, she wrote a, a, a thesis, I guess you call it a thesis or whichever, mm -hmm. was Janetta Jones. Janetta Jones, uh, she taught college at Eastern. She lived over here on Marion Street, come, you know, Carbondale High School, SIU, and then uh, taught at Eastern. And um, Dr. John Y. Simon was quite proud of Janetta Jones and her education and her will and her accomplishments and writing her papers and uh, things and then teaching and all. So Johnetta, she talked about the history of the first free African-American was in 1906. I'm not sorry, 1806. Mm -hmm. And so that was uh, somewhat surprising to me. You know, I have to re remember or reread these things that she had wrote. Mm -hmm. But Johnetta wrote well. Dr. M. Stalls, she put a paper together on uh, SIU blacks and so forth, you know, students and all. Mm -hmm. And so there's been several persons who have wrote their thesis and whatever the other papers that, about Carbondale. And fortunately enough, a lot of it got into a pictorial historical book. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Oh, wow. You know, just to go through this book here, I could turn just about to any page. And <laughs> here I'm looking at Rock Hill Church and uh, um, Mrs. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt's wife. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> That's wild. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just flipped through a page and so much is going on here in this town and has happened in this town. And uh, this book has so much history in it. They should get a lot of these books reprinted and and put it back out here for people to, to see and perhaps come in and talk about and expound upon Janetta's work and uh, Dr. M. Stahl's work. Do you know if that book was printed by SIU Press by chance? Does it say uh, on the back there anywhere? The The reason why I say that, I, I had uh, John Pollitz on the show uh several months ago and he was talking about how the um the within the school of mass communication they're taking these books from siu press and turning them into podcasts they're they're essentially reading and narrating these books yeah um, and and you know i don't think that everything that they're going to do is strictly fiction i think they're i or i would hope at least they they're going to be getting into you know some actual historical <clears throat> 
uh, books and something like this is worth talking through. Yeah, you know, um, the thing that I think they had going here for the past month or so is about uh, Bloody Williamson County. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, those persons who put that book and so, so forth together, several years ago, I spent a month on that. Mm -hmm. And that Bloody Williamson is far deeper than Carbondale Heron. It goes all the way into East St. Louis. Now, I didn't hear them uh, on SIU's podcast speaking about how Bloody Williamson County was a part of uh, the problem of the race riot in 1917 mm -hmm. in East St. Louis. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Information that had been passed on to me was basically saying that the Williamson County Ministerial Alliance formed the Ku Klux Klan. This was about the coal mines and labor and so forth and, mm -hmm. and directed at Heron's Italian community. Mm -hmm. But being that they speaking about labor and developing the organization, uh, took it further to another big labor area, which was East St. Louis. Mm -hmm. So um, I can't exactly remember the exact uh, cemetery, but one of the Sheltons, so he was a burger in the Shelton gang, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. And so one of the Sheltons is buried into the Catholic cemetery up in that area. Hmm. So... I had a lot of stuff on that years ago when I was at WDBX. And so the, the author of that book and uh, others who participated, you know, they came and did the show. And I, lo I love doing it. I mean, I love doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know. But well, maybe maybe we get you into podcasting next, Pepper. I mean, I've <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a, a more malleable form radio show yeah right without without the break-ins of advertising or yeah other things to go along with it yeah well you know um um at this age as that screen says you see my hair Pepper's <laughs> <laughs> not just a nickname at this point it's not <laughs> yeah. the, the, uh, at this stage of the game I really need to write down just about anything that I'm talking about, you know, because <laughs> there was a, one of the things that I was doing, you know, that was a tumultuous time. Mm -hmm. There was a lynching down there in Cairo in 1909, and there was the Springfield race riot, 1909. The NAACP started in 1909. Mm -hmm. Um 1917 was the East St. Louis that we I just spoke about mm -hmm. race riot, and then 1921 was Tulsa. Yeah, now Tulsa community was supposed to be the uh, Black Wall Street. That mm -hmm. is, it was had viable businesses and was doing very well within the black community, and they creating their own income and uh, businesses, uh, bus taxes just really doing it in 1921. Mm -hmm. And so without getting into uh, the cause, well, the cause was racism, but the 
the actual event that they wish to claim ignited that racism act. Um, these, depending on who you ask, where were the most people harmed, killed, murdered, and so forth mm -hmm. by race riders? And that was, uh, some say East St. Louis. If not East St. Louis, it was definitely Tulsa. Mm -hmm. So I spoke with the newspaper people. I spoke with uh, state persons, and I had the accounting of the Red Cross of what they say of those who had been killed in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And um, there was no real good finding for those who had been killed in East St. Louis because the river consumed so many. Oh. You know? But in Tulsa, they didn't have that river. How they um, corralled people and people were walking down the railroad track trying to get out of the area and then there was a, <clears throat> um, 33, 35, I'm not exactly sure, square blocks of the black community where they had dropped gasoline firebombs mm -hmm. onto the houses. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen, if you uh, Google map, there are some places still where the concrete steps are there, but no, no house, you mm -hmm. know, has not been rebuilt since 1921. And uh, uh, like I said, I really, sh speaking about that, I should have had it wrote down because I remember her very well, the one woman she had interviewed and created a file on 160 or 161 of the survivors of the Tulsa riot. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I don't know if she's passed or not, but anyway. I had her on my show. I had um, the newspaper person on my show, and the way I did it, <laughs> I called the news. Well, I had already set everything up, yeah. but I called the newspaper, and the newspaper uh, then called the woman that I that did so much work on it. Mm -hmm. So now I got myself on the phone here in Carbondale, and. Uh, the newspaper person out there in Tulsa and the woman living in Tulsa who had done so much work on all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, people were wondering, how in the world did I do it? You know, I you know, just applied a little thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing how willing people are to talk with you when you ask them to do an interview. Yeah. More, more people are receptive to having a conversation, whether it's in a more condensed form, uh, you know, for for television or radio or a long form in a digital format. I mean, people people are generally willing to share their work and have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just flipped to another page here without any, uh, uh, you know, not just yeah. a plan. And uh, so bring here. that bring that up over the microphone where you're okay. at, there, Pepper, and bring it to your right just a little bit. Okay. Are you are we are we looking at the car picture on the one on your right side? Or are we looking at the family picture on your left? The car picture. Okay, so we're looking at the car picture. Yeah. All right. As Henry Clark. Okay. As um, Papa. And I thought it was myself. But my aunt Virginia said the other, the other person wasn't me. And I said, well, I, I doubt that seriously. Believe it was me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, the book says it was me. Trevor, <laughs> <laughs> you you had you we, we looked at a number of photos that just that happened to be you as a kid. You were you were one of the original selfie babies, man. I'm <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Uh, let me see what I'm looking at here in this page. Alfonso Krim and family. Hmm. George Krim, Florence Krim, Alfonso, Viola, uh, Julius Krim, and Wilson Krim. These people here, the Krim family, uh -huh. they were... I mean, you know, not to say uh, rich, but okay, all yeah. right, you know, yeah. and productive and so forth. And um, Reverend Sumner was on this other the other part of that picture, the the fact, the lower part, mm -hmm. and uh, his wife Ursa. Now Reverend Sumner's passed on, but Ursa. I, I still, I talk to her occasionally right here. Yep. yep. You know? And so she uh, messaged me, and her son, Ron, lives here in Carbondale, and uh, still here. And so she, they have, she has other kids that are living in D.C. and Nebraska and other places throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, it's a real community of people. In fact, Melvin Hewlett is doing a pretty good thing right now. And he's putting a, a, a means of communicating and together in different parts of the country. I think last year they went to Las Vegas and met out there mm -hmm. several different ones. So that's a good thing, and that maintaining that connection. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, a lot of people from Carbondale have went to Minnesota. Mm -hmm. But what should we really start at? <laughs> well, I mean, the, a, a question that I have that's kind of burning, right? I, we, I don't even have to ask you the typical question of how'd you how'd you come to be in Carbondale, right? Because you are you are a, a, a you know a, a stake a, a lifelong uh, you know uh, born of Carbondale person like myself. Yeah. here so like that's you know we're every every bit of the conversation we have is is um well is tied to if, <laughs> if i had it on my phone i would play the uh change is going to come i was born by the river and that was in st louis missouri in homer g phillips hospital uh -huh. and soon after my birth i was here in carbondale well i was really going to be here in carbondale anyway but just so happened i was born in st louis uh -huh. and so uh, St. Louis has a has a lot of uh, I have a I have a lot of strong connections to St. Louis. Mm -hmm. My well, my uncle Arvo Isbell, he uh, played the sax saxophone and so forth, and he was called Fats. He was kind of kind of stocky. I guess <laughs> that's where I got mine from. And so uh, he he. One of his biggest regrets is he did not go to California with the Fifth Dimensions. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. He played the back, you know, played the background for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so, but he was he ended up and retired from the post office. But um, one of my grandmothers, 
And I say one of my grandmothers because I had a couple of them. You know, there's, th there's a thing in the United States called divorce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, one of my grandmothers uh, lived in uh, St. Louis. And her name was Thelma Isbell, then Holder, then Banks. So... Um, she married a man by the name of Reuben Banks, and Reuben Banks' mother was Aunt D. My grandmother Thelma and Reuben, they had a, a restaurant bar in St. Louis, and she was also a nurse at Homer G. Phillips, mm -hmm. for some reason why I'm born up there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even my birth certificate had Banks on it because she took me to the hospital uh -huh. and somebody didn't have the wherewithal to <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get that redone all that mess and um but right here in Carbondale is the is home is where I was raised where I've experienced the most um in the community the most uh love now I had my great great grandmother Alice Isbell, um, till I was 19, and that was that was really something. But that's when I got my first blister in my hand with a spade in the backyard, um, busting up clocks for the garden. Um, every Saturday, when I would come of age a little bit to be able to walked down on Washington Street to Dillinger's store. Mm -hmm. Mr. Dillinger already knew what I come that far, and he'd have two chickens tied on a string rope. Uh -huh. So he'd give me the two chickens, and me and them two chickens coming on back to my grandmother's. <laughs> and we'd take those chickens, and now my uh, grandmother had the water going, and she was a petite woman, real small, and she would uh, wring that chicken's neck. It'd flop around there and blood be a gushing. Next thing you know, that chicken's in that hot water getting the feathers plucked off of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was something. So. the Was Long Branch still kind of a, a gambler's outfit back back in the day when, when you would have been? younger around that time when you had been walking up to Dillinger's. And, and I asked that question because that's, I, I didn't hear this story a lot, but every now and then my, my grandma would talk about dragging her dad out of hmm. long branch. Cause he was up there drinking and gambling and yeah. doing whatever. Well, when I was dragging the chickens back, no, I don't think no black persons could go into the long branch. Okay. There was a, uh, when I got to be older as a, uh, not even quite a teenager, but look, just entering teen, my teen years, there was a uh, window and a little uh, shelf out of the window to where I could notice where a lot of the uh, black people, colored at that time, was uh, go to the window and get their liquor. Mm -hmm. But as far as going in the place, no. There's never, okay. And, uh, <clears throat> Uh, I wasn't even allowed to come down the street. Uh, not uh, there were black bars on from uh, Jackson to Oak. Okay. 
But when I got bring the chickens back to uh, Jackson Street, I would have to turn and go down Jackson Street, then go back Marion Street because I wasn't supposed to go down there in front of the tavern. <laughs> <laughs> and back and that was back in the day when kids actually listened every now and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you, for the most part, avoided the taverns pretty well. As a kid. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't supposed to go in front of those taverns, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was interesting times. But, you know, uh, speaking about the... Uh, um, coming down that Jackson Street in Marion, where the Sufis had the daycare, uh -huh. you notice that tall fence. Is it the is it the one around the the, the outside play right. area? Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, that wasn't to keep those Sufi kids in. Those were to keep black colored kids in mm -hmm. when they uh, overflow of the jail. In that in in that spot now, right? Really, the the uh, jail was right there where uh, Carbondale Bank is. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I remember somebody actually just posted a couple uh, a couple days ago, and and I think like the Carbondale pre nineteen nineties yeah photo group a a picture of what was there before the bank. So you could go uh, down the alley and holler, hey, hey, who in there? You know, <laughs> and they <laughs> holler back. <laughs> So uh, that was just something to play to do as been bringing the chickens back. <laughs> and then uh, one of the big mysteries that took place at the police station, they say that there was some marijuana that the rats ate up. The police had evidence and the rats supposed to uh, ate up the evidence. <laughs> yeah. So that was the city hall part of it. That's something that needs to be wrote on. Mm -hmm. How many times city hall has moved? Where was it the first time, the second, third, and fourth? Uh -huh. I say that at least the first or the second time was Hairbrains. Right there on the right next to Trace Ombres there? Right. Okay. It probably was also Trace Ombres. Okay. And then uh, the next time was down here on College Street. Well, no. Um, it would have been on Main Street for the uh, jail. Mm -hmm. And um, the fire station was on the corner of Main and uh, Marion. Okay. And then it moved from there down to uh, College Street. And okay. then it's moved over here. That's quite a few jumps. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dr. John Y. Simon said that, you know, um, John A. Logan, some would say that uh, John A. Logan's nickname is Blackjack, <laughs> and others called him Dirty Work for being so willing to go and uh, catch or find colored people to send back to slavery. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Dr. Simon told me, he said, the legislator, whoever was running the legislature at the time, say, who would go and catch these people? And so no one responded and said, 
one more time, who would go and catch these people? Who would go and do such dirty work? Johnny Logan raised his hand. So Blackjack does the dirty work. So, all right, so I, I may have misunderstood when we were talking the other day then. Johnny Logan wasn't going out to help slaves that were looking for freedom. But he was actually going out and catching people and returning them to slavery. The division here in Southern Illinois, <clears throat> which I see it clearly still here today, was basically said that a, a battalion or whatever of men left Southern Illinois and went over to the Kentucky side waiting for Logan to come and uh, lead them. Mm -hmm. But he elected to go with the North. So uh, <clears throat> that's John A. Logan and Abraham Lincoln and the Logan family and uh, Abraham Lincoln had a uh, association that was, you know, more than just uh, I know you as a legislator or general, whomever. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were friends, you know. Mm -hmm. So birds of a feather to me flocked together. Now you were talking, I, I'm looking at my notes here, because um, you were talking about Dr. John Y. Simon. You've mentioned him a couple times here and talking about, like, I, we, you know, we had talked about the National Grand Association. That's just what I've got written down in my notes. Um, I remember you talking about that being a pretty big deal coming out of Carbondale. Yeah, uh, Dr. Simon was a big deal, period. And uh, he, you, you would see him often on C-SPAN. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he lectured <clears throat> uh, around the country and did radio shows and all. And I was so glad uh, when I called him about a show that I was proposing, uh, I was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so he said, so you called me from the hospital and have a hip replacement? Said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, well, if you, you called me from the hospital from a hip replacement, I'll do your show. <laughs> 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 so... <laughs> he did my show several times, and uh, he's the one in in um, just general conversation, uh, sitting outside one of the uh, uh, the SIU library or so forth, as he was smoking, and we'd just be talking or whether it's on the show or not. Uh, what I couldn't get him to do, though, I was really wanting him to debate. <clears throat> Uh, Lerone Bennett. Mm -hmm. Lerone Bennett was the uh, editor for Ebony Magazine. So Lerone Bennett, he wrote a book uh, about Lincoln and Douglas, and Douglas only meeting Lincoln two times. Mm -hmm. And so it was perceived that Lincoln had met Douglas several times, but in the book only alleges that he met him two times. But I couldn't get them to go ahead and to get it going, but I had them both on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ray Lindsay was there too. And oh, so, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really a good show. It was a good show. And so uh, we talked about the number of people who had um, of uh, colored troops, you know, and so forth on both sides. Mm -hmm. And the grant uh, had set up here in Cairo as a position to deal with the South aggression. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not exactly sure why Dr. John Y. Simon came to be so enthused with, uh, enthralled with uh, uh, 
President Grant, or General Grant, but he, that's where his, uh, so much of his work was mm -hmm. within the vo creating volumes and volumes of uh, Grant's papers. And so yeah. with that, he, you know, he became the um, uh, primary person to represent Grant and the Grant Association. Mm -hmm. So then when, um, when the story goes, as he was on the elevator, and uh, while he was remodeling the library, Morris, he was joking with a female owner and said, we've been stuck over here long enough for somebody to get pregnant. And then the, you know, things just got out of hand with how she just ran off with this and to the dean and the dean challenging uh, Dr. Simon and things just really got out of hand and he died in the hospital a few days after that. But uh, he had a wing. I mean, you know, he, he had a wing in Morris Library. Mm -hmm. Like I say, Dr. Simon's efforts to work was big. When you said, I mean, it, that it had a, at least a national footprint, if not bigger than that, and and the folks that that uh, you know were engaged in the in the work that he was doing. Right. I mean, uh, like I said, he was uh, consulted by he was consulted by historians, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, when all this took place, SIU lost the, the Grand Association. Of people from around the country came and uh, sued SIU to take it away from here mm -hmm. and took it to Starkville, Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was that. On a on another and again I'm I'm just kind of picking up from from stuff that we talked about the other day and, and trying to tie into where we're at here. You talked about uh, that lynching in nineteen oh nine and then in turn about in what was it 1967 when was it the Cairo city council that acknowledged that somehow, or I, I can't remember exactly how that story uh, came together. Uh, let me see here that I don't, I don't know. I have to pull that out and see what, what uh, we were talking about. I think his name is uh, James something, but the John Marshall Law School Fair and Affordable Housing um, Civil Rights Legislation in a Racial Powder Cave, the Cairo Experience. And in that Cairo experience, if I can pull this out of here. Now um, everybody's going to know how organized you are, Pepper. They're going to know that you walk around with files full of knowledge <laughs> that you can reference at a, at a fingers, at a fingers swipe. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> Without reading the whole page and the pack, all of that, mm -hmm. Judge Wise's final order in uh, December 1973 refers to the testimony of Preston Ewing Jr. Um, 
interrupted myself. Preston Ewan is a historian of uh, of Carol and others of no equal. He has so much core knowledge, and I just wish that he could probably, you know, he's older than I, and I wish that what he has that he could get paid for and uh, give to his family, whomever he wanted to give it to, and give the paperwork to uh, SIU mm-hmm. and keep it in the area. But he has a, he has so much as the, it's a shame. He has a mountain of work that he, I wish he could give to the community. And let's see, back to what I was trying to say, uh, Judge Wise's final order in December 1973 refers to testimony by President Union that parade was conducted in Cairo not only to demonstrate racial injustice, but also to serve as a safety valve or emotional release for members of the black community were racially uh, radical intent, uh, let me see, created several tensions. The court expressed recognition that a notice requirement of more than six hours could uh, It could, um, what do you say, upset the, upset the core, upset the whatever. Okay, yep. Anyway, getting on down to, to that, though, it is, <clears throat> a week later, the Illinois governor declared the office of the uh, Alexander County Sheriff vacated. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's that's what it was. Was the because the the sheriff's the, this gentleman had been lynched in the custody of the sheriff's department, right? Right. Okay. But okay, that's uh, the violence of lawlessness was that occurred uh, was in nineteen with November the eleventh, nineteen oh nine. William James, a black man, was lynched from uh, for allegedly murdering a young white woman. The uh, sheriff uh, of Alexander County had tried to protect James, so he said, by taking him to a nearby town, but a mob, uh, but a mob interrupted, uh, intercepted them, took James from the sheriff's custody, and brought James back to Carroll, where, uh, where I need a ruler. <laughs> just to follow along yeah <laughs> but i think and, the, the, and that's a i mean just to just to understand right that these stories aren't that long ago people like to think that these things have just occurred you know like it was like it was two thousand five thousand ten thousand years ago but this stuff's in in recent yeah life not just history but life live yeah. well you know like Say like uh, America, four hundred years. Yeah. You know, I've been here almost one fourth of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's and that's a very real statement. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so uh, where was I at there? Uh, the lynching of a person in custody 
prima facie evidence of a sheriff's failure to perform his duties, the governor's actions were affirmed by the Illinois Supreme Court in People v. Nell's um, court case 249, Illinois, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. In 1967, the uh, National Guards was called to Cairo as a result of disorder following the hanging of James Hunt, which is over here on C-Note 2 something. Anyway, there's more hanging and more more injustice in Carroll and Southern Illinois than most people would imagine. And it's been going on for a very, very long time. And if anyone wanted to know the history of Southern Illinois, primarily that of Carroll, I urge you to go find Preston Ewan, and he's in the City Hall building down there. I don't know if he has a job there, but he has a post there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is his place. Well, and, yeah. and that that gives another good transition right to talking about injustice, Southern Illinois wide, and tying that back to Carbondale specifically. Right, is the um, the paper on the Coppers plant? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, when when did you when did you first get access? to that, to that <clears throat> paper, where, where were you first able to, to unearth that? Uh, oh, boy, now that is a good question. <laughs> and if you don't I'll have the, the spot-on answer, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're, yeah, I we're close you. enough, just knowing the context of... I hear you. No, no problem with that. The thing is, um, <clears throat> those times and dates of when I got wise of this and found this paper is, uh, you know, one thing. But the information I found after I got the paper is really something else. Yeah, absolutely. And so the paper that I got, the way I found it, was from the uh, the the business above uh, Hairbrains. Mm -hmm. They go and do um, diggings around to see if there are graveyards or anything to be disturbed and mm -hmm. other stuff like that for companies that are looking to do some whatever. So... <clears throat> um, the Copper's plant history started in 1902. You know, everything starts prior to, but it started operation in 1902. Mm -hmm. And an announcement was made in Carbondale Free Press. Are you familiar with the Free Press? I am not. Well, before there was the Southern, it was the Carbondale Free Press. Mm -hmm. So uh, I really liked the way the Free Press was uh, worked even way back then. So you go out to your library, you can see if they still have it or I think maybe the Southern has bought it out. And um, and um, to see it on Microfish, you know, Rock Hill, other churches, it, it seems to be more open, uh, more um, malleable, I believe is the term, mm -hmm. to the community, the black community, than today. Uh, Today, neither there's the Carbondale Times or the Southern, especially, do any uh, outreach in covering the community, the Northeast, the mm -hmm. black community. There are those who wish to say that uh, it's Carbondale. Well, there are a lot of black people in Carbondale, and they're not being covered mm -hmm. in the 
white owned papers. Mm -hmm. And so with this election, this campaign is something I've been talking about for many years. Norvell Haynes was the first one that brought it to my attention is this needs to be a ward uh, established in Carbondale. Mm -hmm. That Carbondale, their voting process is as racist as any racist, uh, almost like poll tax. Mm -hmm. The black community has hardly any voice and has any power with their voice. So if it was a ward, then the ward would give them the uh, area with population to sit at the table with authority rather than just sitting there uh, getting along to go along. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of it has been. There's been a few times that there have been some uh, people who um, were respected to, uh, they garnered respect and was given that by others at the city council table. But it has not been a, uh, the council has not been a true advocate for black people in Carbondale. Mm -hmm. As, and that's primarily coming from the way the structure or the voting is in Carbondale. Mm -hmm. you know, Murfreesboro has a war system. Chicago has a war system. But Carbondale wishing to control its population and everything so much will not grant a war system here. Mm -hmm. you know? Now, when I was talking to Jeff a few podcasts ago, um, one of the things that, that he had said just, just in, just in talking through, uh, you know, the history of carbon, he said, there's, there's been, there've been referendums. Now, obviously a referendum by itself would be stacked against the idea of a ward system in service of the black community in Carbondale. Right. Right. <clears throat> but, but specifically that twice, I think he said in the seventies and possibly in the nineties that there had been votes for uh, a change to a ward system that had failed, and then that there was a change in the um, in the council structure in 2003 uh, to add two more seats to the council, but they were still at large seats. They weren't they weren't right. seats that were allowing for representation from a specific uh, geographical area of the town. That was Stephen Haynes and uh, Corinne McDaniel. <clears throat> and um, if you looked at the votes that um, Corrine McDaniel got, they mirrored Maggie Flanagan's votes. Mm -hmm. So you know how to pull those up, precincts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, identical. Except for she got 175 more votes in the black community mm -hmm. than Maggie Flanagan got. So at that time, she was the top vote getter with the help of Maggie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and what Maggie Maggie lost that election by seven votes or something? Like a very No, I don't think Maggie lost that election. She might have lost the next one. Oh, okay. All right. Know. All right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think she lost that one. But uh it was Maggie Flanagan, you know, that really catapulted uh Corey McDaniel and then, you know, as they were trying to give somebody uh, uh recognition from the black community, but 
The black community didn't vote for whomever they wanted. We got what the city of Carbondale gave us to, you know. So uh, that's a problem. It's in their control. I mean, you know, they stacked the deck. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they're ever going to get out of that. That's the only reason I'm doing this again. <laughs> <coughs> How many times have you have you ran? I think this is the second time second I ran time? for a uh, council. Okay. But what the, my my thing is, you know, I could go crappie fishing. Yeah. And it, what what I regret that this community has not created a body of uh, interested, concerned citizens truly concerned with uh, core knowledge and not say you stay here for the rest of your life, but you need to be here for a while. You need to have an intention of being here for a while and not use the council or whatever as a lot of people feel is used at the university as a stepping stone to go somewhere else. Uh -huh. So we don't have any, uh, uh, we have not created that population that's going to be here to speak and be an advocate for here, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, that's a that's a real big problem. And hopefully someday, that somebody will step up, and some men will come through, and go forth with uh, uh, stabilizing the community to be a better place. Well, and it's. Right. For so long, we've relied on the a population of people that come and go. Right. We've never looked at it and said, how do we just stabilize Carbondale as a place where you stay, where you come and stay, not come and go? Well, truly, they, they failed to. Uh, if this was supposed to be the cultural center of Carbondale, they've done very little to create that culture mm -hmm. in southern Illinois. So we know we couldn't just say it's Carbondale is the cultural place only but you got Cairo you got Centralia you got all the solo noise as well as Shawneetown have mm -hmm. you spent any time in Shawneetown I've not you got to get over there there's a uh, Shawneetown and there's old Shawneetown mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. old Shawneetown was the part the the solo noise that refused to loan Chicago any money when Chicago had its fire mm -hmm. you know and there's some old money over there, but they uh, dwindling away, you know, as some little noise dwindling away, mm -hmm. but which it had an opportunity <clears throat> to really open this place up. You got Rand Lake. You could have had another uh, uh, state park south of here, of south of Anna in that area. Really? You got two major railroads. Mm -hmm. You got two major interstates. You got two major rivers. Mm -hmm. That's water. What else do you need? We've even got the airports now. <laughs> well, Cape Toronto had one down there a long time ago. But coming from Cape over, you know, where we got this little, little place up here going down mm -hmm. in this area here, my thing is if they had a focus on and I spoke with Dr. Uh, uh, not Dr. Simon, uh, Senator Simon, several times about uh, why don't we have something here? He said, "Oh, he get on the phone, call New York, and they ain't got here yet." 
<laughs> you know, but railroad, highway, and water, a university, junior colleges, a major university. You know, I mean, it's not Harvard, but it's still a major university. Yeah. And then with the junior college, could train in the workforce you need. So where is the forethought for this place to go for? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it bewilders me that they don't think or go any further. And then you're like, uh, I, I mentioned you the other day over here on Baptist Camp Road over here by Cup, that mm-hmm. there, Reverend Turley and others have put together uh, 60 acres and had a campsite, a chapel, a house, the farmhouse was on there to use as the kitchen, a place where we go eat, you know, and all that. We slept more or less in the uh, in the uh, chapel of the, that was established over there, Keithley Chapel. Mm-hmm. And how could they do so much with so little at that time? And then we produce so much over here, doctor this and doctor that and doctor don't, <laughs> you know. Doctors don't even live in the community. And so then Dr. This and That wishes to represent the community and has any trouble wherever they may be, and then they call on the community to come to Doctor's Rescue. But Doctor's whoever, she ain't representing us. She's not, she don't work for us. And uh, that's a shame that we don't have, it was a mistake by the black community thinking that you go and get your education, you go come back to the community and serve the community, be for the people. But so many have gotten their education and left the people where it was a community with stores and houses and uh, professors and uh, principals and teachers living in it. Then these people who come from other places come in and call itself rising up, but really rising up on the backs of those who have been here uh, and moved on away. Well, that's, a, that's another good tra- transition here, not to cut you off, Pepper, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I definitely want to talk about too, right, is you you come, like your your father, right, was a businessman. Right. Right, and, and he built something. And, yeah. I mean, we you know, we had talked about, you know, everything from, from experiencing the the uh, you know violent racism of having his name on the side of a truck and going in to pay for a truck ticket, all the way to the actual you know act of arson that that destroyed uh, so much of what he had built. Right. Destroy. Uh, there was a lawyer here by the name of Bradley. In fact, the way people spoke of him my father's time, mm-hmm. they called him Lawyer Bradley. <laughs> and so <clears throat> Lawyer Bradley told my uh, my dad, James Holder, mm-hmm. how to uh, get out of uh, the problems of uh, of the lawsuits that was coming with the Holder Warehouse fire. Mm-hmm. Now, he had several trucks, uh, three warehouses, and this one here on Main Street is over there by... Um, Oh, I don't know. Is that five hundred? Go ahead. The, the, you said it was by Hunan, right? Where where it is there? They got the no, not that far down. No, no. Okay, all right. Yeah, it was uh, not far from um, on the same side of the street as where the cemetery is. Okay. 
about a block uh, west of that. A block, no, east of that. Okay. So where that where the auto parts store is? Yeah, go, go a little bit further past little, that. Okay. There was an ice house and then dad's warehouse. And so I don't know if you can see this. If I yeah, got, yeah. If you want to hold that, bring that a little bit closer to the camera, if you would. And uh, just bring see. it to your to your right a little bit. Okay. Yeah, that's got a pretty good that's got a pretty good shot of that. Yeah. Because you can, I mean, you can see definitive the people standing in the street, the signage in front of that. Uh, what looks like it says Watson, or does that say? Uh, I think it says hold the fire warehouse, hold the warehouse fire okay. in nineteen fifty seven. And then all the smoke billowing up there. You said fifty seven. Yeah. So you would have been relatively young. Yeah, I was a boy. Okay. Yeah. Yep, that yeah. was, uh, so anyway, back to Lawyer Bradley, he was basically saying that, you know, how daddy could get out of the paying all of that because, like, when you got to put somebody's things in storage, you're supposed to have, like, three copies of the inventory. Mm -hmm. You get a copy, the office gets a copy, and the uh, warehouse has a copy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, anyway, you know, you see how, um, society is now but they didn't just get that away but daddy didn't take that he bit the bullet and went ahead and paid whatever came off the people claimed that there was their loss mm -hmm. so the way uh, uh, one of the competition one of the ways to beat the competition was like it wouldn't unpack your dresser mm -hmm. so we got your dresser your dresser's on the inventory it's covered but the contents of the dresser is not covered mm -hmm. so now we got to pay and so he paid, paid dearly. And it was, I'm sure there was always somebody trying to get over on him. Yeah, he was really upset when one woman said that her tablecloth was $400. <laughs> you know. And that would have been $400 in 57, 57 money, which is <laughs> a lot more today. Yeah, yeah. But what did he did? What did he do after? the the fire and he continued i mean you know he uh, uh a lot of people didn't realize it but he had a couple of trucks that wasn't around he was working out of the area mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so uh focus of the business somewhat left the uh the immediate area mm -hmm. and that was because uh, dr morris left here dr morris was a very very uh instrumental in helping and developing my dad's business. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was trying to say to you the other day that the world these world the Dr. Morris's of the white community now in Carbondale. They're not around, you know, and um there may be a few, but they're not the community is not speaking up. The, that community of, of white people mm -hmm. are not lending their knowledge, their assistance to help develop something that extends more than the individual. Mm -hmm. So there were many men who worked for daddy. And uh, uh, I know when some people, some other businesses, the SIU, the tape plant, or whomever, other companies would call and uh, ask about a man who, wanted, who went to work for the university. Mm -hmm. And said, "Well, you work for Jimmy Holder. We know you work." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that where is that where you get it? 
too? I mean, do you do you feel like you got the work ethic from well, your dad? Yeah. Well, you see the pain. <laughs> that's, that's right. Making up these stairs alone. Yeah. <laughs> Crunch knee here and a in a displaced. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so were you were you always in construction then? Well, Remember, I, know, he, I know you talked about the the John A. bid, but was construction always your thing, or have you done a mix of stuff over? I've done a mix of things, but primarily, you know, his business was holder, moving, and storage. Mm-hmm. And before that, well, doing that, he had also was hauling coal, mm-hmm. and he had uh, uh, vegetables that were coming in. He would take them to different places um, around Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. And then see, uh, if my cousin and I were little boys, and then so there'd be so many uh, watermelons or whatever uh, there in the backyard, and tell us to sell them instead of eating them. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh. and so like I used to tell people, you know, on Saturdays we'd always have a board meeting, mm-hmm. but the board meeting was uh, the men was tearing down houses uh, as the university was growing, uh-huh. and so. Dad had these uh, had a core a, uh, a group of men tearing down houses or doing one thing or another the trucks things going and all that type of stuff, and then so the, they bring the boards and put them in the backyard or put them down to another house down the street. Mm-hmm. So my cousin we got a, a hammer and crowbars, we pulled the nails. That was board meeting. <laughs> 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 and then take the, the the lumber that you know we don't clean up and so forth, uh-huh. and then Dad didn't uh, get the guys to go and build another house or something. That's that's proper resourceful. Yeah, that's... he he was that, and uh, never made it to the eighth grade. You know, but that was uh, Dr. Morris who. Allow a person who would work hard, push work hard, and uh, was a community person, and uh, he, uh, 57 was a, a heck of a year. You think this was bad? They had a tornado over here in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. Was and that so, the year of the big of, of the big Murfreesboro tornado? Yeah, that was one of the big Murfreesboro tornadoes. Murfreesboro okay. had more than one. Okay, but. Uh, uh, Daddy went over there, and with his stepmother, he built her house. He brought people from Murfreesboro to help them um, over here. In fact, you're going to interview one of them. You know, who, who, who was? Miss Jameson, Ginger. Oh, okay, all right. You know, and that's the kind of man my daddy was. You know, and so forth. You know. Uh, and uh, Reverend Turley, Daddy called Mr. Thomas Professor Thomas. You know Thomas School, married mm-hmm. to my aunt, and um, um, there were several. There were men. There were men at that time that was giving to the community, and with the backbone of the community, with the support of good women. Mm-hmm. Now there were some other women and some other men. All of them, everybody's not perfect. Yeah. And some worse than others. <laughs> but uh, there were um, there were some women that were really speaking up. One of those women, 
was with uh, my aunt Juanita Thomas was with the group that group it was with Irma Hayes, mm -hmm. but it was Robert Stalls was the guiding post with that, and that's where the Model Cities thing come in with his association with other professors out here on campus, mm -hmm. and well. <clears throat> They put a coalition together to change the direction of Carbondale, which I say was the last progressive period of Carbondale mm -hmm. with the Model Cities program, some houses that got built, Dr. Morris, you know. It was, it, was, it, was un, it, was, it was almost like unreal, amazing, compared to what we have here today. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, um, why, why did the resources from that program stop? Do you, do you have a clear <clears throat> recollection? No, um, I don't have a real clear recollection. You know, the city has always maintained some form of control over it. And no one really that knows the city and how it was at that time felt as if the city of Carbondale, uh, did their due diligence in maintaining and extending and trying to create and develop a better community. Mm -hmm. They just did a, a haphazard, uh, uh, <laughs> I wish Jeff's daughter was here right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they just did the minimum of what they possibly could do. Mm -hmm. Even with the resources that was given to them from the federal, however they garnered these different things mm -hmm. and the talent, that's the shame of it all. You have the talent of this university with and others in the community, then mm -hmm. why aren't they utilizing this to create a not say a utopia but a better place? Yeah. You know? And so the reason I say they don't choose to do that is because they want to keep that division so a few who are in power can stay maintain their power mm -hmm. because if others rose to power, mm -hmm. then they minimizes those in power. Well, and, and the question then becomes, after everybody has exhausted their time and efforts in power, and you have less and less each day for you to have power over, what is the point of even having that power to begin with? <clears throat> Tribalism. Right? tribalism mm -hmm. you have families that you know are still garnering the, the money from their those men who were there then mm -hmm. or trying to maintain you know um you know <clears throat> uh they just don't see the they don't see the uh, the development of the, mm -hmm. the being the other uh, growth well, and it's it's got to be, right? And again, what it what it has not been, for the entire existence of this town, it has to be everybody eats, right? Everybody gets you know a, a chicken in every pot type of deal, mm -hmm. right? That's that's the only way that this town exists <clears throat> for a foreseeable amount of time in the future. But that's not capitalism. Capitalism only succeeds with oppression. Mm -hmm. So if you're into a tribal thing, you're going to suppress anybody else. You know, say it, it, it's ridiculous to say that. Uh, um, it is very ridiculous to say that um, 
we're not going to pay, I don't want to pay minimum wage. I, you know, that's too high because if I pay minimum wage, I'm going to lose. Mm -hmm. Now, the, even the thought of paying a higher wage, they re raise the price of bread. Mm -hmm. And then they got to pay uh, 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 what do you call that? Uh, rent, rent assistance, yeah. food stamps, Medicare, mm -hmm. penitentiary, mm -hmm. rather than paying a living wage. Yeah. I mean, the perfect Walmart example, right? Walmart right. doesn't pay living wage to uh, the abundance of its workers, and, and those workers are folks that have to utilize government assistance just to pay rent, just to eat the food that they have to put on the shelves themselves. And then those, the powers to be, gives away the tax base to Walmart. Mm-hmm and sucks it off of the uh, population. I mean, that's a great example of that Walmart that's built right between Murfreesboro and Carbondale. Yeah. Right, that it's just outside of any tax base for it to be meaningful, right? It's not in Murfreesboro's, it's not in ours. It is simply there in this no man's land <clears throat> of, of tax value. Uh, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no one municipality that the sales tax that's garnered there goes to there's a there's a number of issues with having a a major right transactive center like that on the outskirts true of town but some of these things have taken place in the city limits mm -hmm. you know in their negotiation to put this walmart in carbondale mm -hmm. and so forth and so like um you got a, you got a whole host of a TIF district. You understand that, right? Uh, the yes, yes. Is there what what particularly are you are you wanting to well, reference on the TIF district? One of the most isolated things I've seen that Carbonell has done was allowing uh, O'Reilly's, the the burger places, the uh, even to the bank. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the mechanic places to be bordering the cemetery mm -hmm. that that uh, uh, historical cemetery. Yes. So with that historical cemetery being the uh, the ground, there could have been other substantial buildings mm -hmm. of uh, height, which you could have put the bank on a floor. Mm -hmm. You could have put something else on another floor and whatever else to take the, the building up yeah. centralizing the community uh, uh, sewer system and traffic things coming into that area mm -hmm. with the site of a historical place mm -hmm. and uh, not give away the TIF to hamburgers mm -hmm. TIF to mechanic store it's almost like driving up to the uh, to the OK Corral and just hey tie the horse up, go in and get you some can of oil and let's go. I I mean it's it is it is truly astonishing to have such a uh, such a place of prominence and and. Uh, Oh, the words are escaping me. Not utilizing yeah. to the advantage of the where it could be beneficial to the community, yeah. and you having the site to look over. Yeah, and then, so you know you're speaking about a blighted area, 
from um, College Street going north, you pretty much got a blighted area that could have been developed into housing or, or other things. Uh, and how could you go there and insist in that? Well, now I haven't remembered how this actually worked, but I understand that FHA does not have that much of a percentage of financing in the city limits of Carbondale. That's are, something that needs to be looked into. Are, are we are we talking about the, um, um, like the rural um, yes. housing housing loans? Right. Well, we're in the rural South right here now. Yeah, I mean, we no, we we qualify, and I know this is something that came up uh, a handful of years back. I mean, just just in the past three years or so, mm -hmm. um, that that we we about lost our 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 federal rural. Uh, it's it's rural house. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's it's all about being in a rural space and having access to, uh, you know, mortgage funds at like five percent down and a couple other particular stipulations. Uh, but I mean, we still are well within qualifying range of that being under. I think it's like thirty five or thirty thousand people. I, I wouldn't quote me on that, but I know we're we're well under that threshold for qualifying in that and i think we still do have it but it's just how many people actually think about it know about it apply it use it get access to it but i don't think that you have a total access to it for the whole community yeah you know it's only a percentage of it that can be utilized within city limits of carbonate okay so how you know, uh the city wishes to take over so much of the property uh, that's another subject but in a way there are lots that could be given away which in the south I found when I was living down there and working down there that if you owned a lot, that you could get FHA to build a house. Mm -hmm. Now, the, one of the key things about FHA, if you happen to lose your job, you pay according to your income, mm -hmm. you know, so you don't become homeless. Yeah. I mean, I ain't, uh, I'm not an Einstein, and like I tell many of them, I ain't got no degree. No. <laughs> But but you're but you're smart enough to see that uh, maybe we need to keep people in their houses. Yeah. And the only way that they, that anybody would ever get back on their feet is by having a place from where they live, so they can actually go out and work the next day and not just be on the street. Right. And then you know look at the, the houses they did build here in the last ten years and over here on the northeast side. That's really silly. That's uh, uh, you can buy the house in fifteen years. Mm -hmm. If they had come up with using their head and placed the uh, housing for the community in a different program, they could have went in owning and creating developing that wealth. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that. Why wouldn't they allow that to be? Mm -hmm. Because they wish to not allow you to have that wealth. That's all it is. Yeah. You know? And so they do everything they can to keep that community down disperse that community in all ways they possibly can. And um, that's what makes this so-called Carbondale, Illinois, and this voting and how uh, black people have been treated here in this community for many, many, many years, I say is one of the most racist communities, definitely in Illinois, and I used to say on the <clears throat> when I had my radio show, this is Pepper Holt at WDBX 91.1 Community Radio for Southern North. Too far north to be south, too far south to be north, except that I find here we are worse than Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs>
and I've been there. I'm serious. I had the areas of Mississippi is far better than here. And so if you want to see third world, you don't have to go to Mississippi. You can go right stay around here, go south of here, just to go around Carbondale. You find third world if you look. All right. There was a woman that told me there was no homeless here. I said, yes, there are. There's <laughs> plenty of homeless here. This was some time ago before they really expanded the the warming used to be at the city hall, mm -hmm. and then they took it out of there and moved it down here on college. Mm -hmm. But when I asked uh, uh, in a conversation with, uh, um, what's his name? He was interim mayor at the time. Don Monte. Don Monte about, uh, you know, a homeless place. You know, he said, well, we did that. People be coming from everywhere. I mean, you know, they're here anyway. They come here anyway. And so uh, I went to the... Um, um, the meeting that they have at the city hall, um, oh, I can't think of those people's names, but anyway. Um, okay. We, well, you, we got, we got a couple different things. There's, there's, um, was it the study circles or was it the, um, the human relations commission? Human relations. Okay. Yeah. And so I spoke with them and I can't think of the guy's name that was that who was one was dealing with the, uh, the, um, warming center and so then they, they moved it on down here well a lot of the complaints now that the people are down there and been there too long for it's a homeless place or something like that like they virtually have taken a residence down there instead of progressing and moving along but well, one of the things that's gotten in the way is the uh the virus mm -hmm. but even before the virus they was there for some time but so what is the program to move them and elevate this population to not to be in that situation? Mm -hmm. You know, now that's not the people who are down there's problem. That's City Hall's problem. Mm -hmm. City Hall should have somebody that has the, the, the wisdom to be able to show what's the next step. Mm -hmm. And how can I help you help yourself? Mm -hmm. And you that's another thing you had talked about the other day was you know, some of this idea of, of, you know, essentially developing this support system where people got to live with each other to keep it together. Right. Uh, and what, what, what I'm talking about with that uh, moving these people along is not just uh, something that I come up with. I mean, but I, with my dad's business, mm -hmm. driving those trucks and doing whatever and, and doing the things that I did, you know, uh, I did construction but I learned the construction from my dad. If they were tearing down houses, my cousin and I have them board meeting, building yeah. a house over here. <laughs> so then I took the next step on out and did the uh, larger construction type thing. Mm -hmm. But it was my dad that I, everything I learned, I learned from him. And uh, the travels that we made together and seeing how daddy used to say, if you see a man put his foot <laughs> on the shovel, look out. If you see a man digging the ditch, look how he put his foot on the shovel. Mm -hmm. So I felt, boy, sometimes riding them down the highway, I could almost put in a highway. I believe I can still now. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, uh, I've seen a lot of things, a lot of different places, and some things, you know, I do have a little bit of, when I'm running a job, 
I, I, uh, I kind of see things to the next step or three or four steps ahead mm -hmm. to where everything comes out and that's my prices go in there. The men are doing it this way and all that. But I've seen it already in my head. I know what's going on here and there. Mm -hmm. And you can see, at least I have seen, and I can see where we ought to be going with these very different things like the homeless thing. The homeless thing that could be easily taken care of by to one step of moving out of the warming center as to uh, pairing people together in a housing area. Mm -hmm. And so the, the revenue that these people get then can be for their expenses of their housing area out of the warming center to the next level of how can I help you by the resources that we already have in place, mm -hmm. for instance, like doors, doors evaluates and then tries to help you come out of this situation you're in mm -hmm. to be able to go ahead and uh, go forth again. Mm -hmm. Things are there. If the community had the free will and the liquidity to help someone to those next levels. Mm -hmm. And I ain't got no degree. <laughs> you can just see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do you what do you have in your hands right now, Pepper? What's the what's the oh, next? Oh wow! Um, oh wow! 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 And take your time if there's stuff that you want to uh, unbind and pull you, you, out you to look the, at. The only thing about this here, I don't mind doing this here. Just what what's going on here? Uh -huh. It makes it seem like I'm rambling. You're not. It, no, well, but here's here's the thing about the podcast, Pepper. Yeah, it's not rambling, and I'll tell you a lot of this stuff all ties together real nicely. Yeah. Right. We, we kind of mm -hmm. start and we'll like make a mention of something early on. And then, you know, a little bit later, we'll come back and, and we'll we'll revisit yeah. again. And so, no, this is this is very exploratory. This is exactly what we're looking for. So, no, you're you're great, man. Anyway, this is a picture of me. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the men that used to, is that that looks uh, real good. No, that's super visible. OK. One of the men that used to work for my dad. His name was Walter Steele. Mm -hmm. And so he would take me fishing and he would take me to the carnival out here on Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, where the old CIPS office is? Yeah. Okay. Is that because that's uh, Jam Payne's office now, right? Okay. Is that what I'm thinking of? Well, there or was. was a, is there an even older one? <laughs> yeah. There was a. a um, the carnival used to come there. Uh-huh. And uh, my cousin, uh, two years, I mean, he's a year and a half older than me. And so uh, when Walter Steele wasn't carrying me fishing or to the carnival or to where he took me and his daughter to, uh, her name is Cookie, um, you know, and getting our picture taken, um, <laughs> uh, my cousin... My dad would give my cousin the money to take me to the carnival, and then we'd go over there, and then I could shoot. I could shoot better than I can today. Mm -hmm. But uh, I could shoot them silver dollars. I found out what tipped them silver dollars off. Mm -hmm. We're coming home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And daddy taught me how to shoot, <laughs> you know. So that's that particular picture there. Uh, Paul Echols is a is retired Carbondale police. Uh huh. Uh huh. And so let me see exactly. I got to find this for 
put my finger on if I can show you. Uh, he don't believe me. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. I should have had it pointed out before. You're okay. Okay. Take your time. Uh, well, this is a bird's eye view of um, where the radio station is and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's David's store down here. This is where we at. Right. So here we go. All right. You know, this is where the Sufi place is here. You know, uh -huh, uh -huh. they look well. There's a round building thing there. Yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah, we yeah we can see that pretty well. So okay. over here is uh, uh, Oak Street. Okay. Okay. Now what this the same side of the street where the Sufi. Uh, it used to be the thrift shop. It used to be lots of different things in mm -hmm. that building, even Coca-Cola and a drugstore as well. So all the way down here to Oak Street, where, yeah, that's there, mm -hmm. is where the radio station is. And then just, just going on there, there was a little indention there to where uh, Paul Eccles, the police that uh, uh, he's been on my show a time or two, mm -hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> um, I was telling them that was when I was young, that was Miss Days's restaurant. A little, little bit of small kitchen. I swear the place couldn't have been no bigger than this stage area right here. Uh huh. And so then the Palms Lounge was right on the other side. So anyway, <clears throat> um, Paul Eccles and I, we, we talked about that. Paul Eccles, he had been on my show a couple of times. Now that's a story there. <laughs> A lot of people, a lot of people, remember I was telling you about my, my aunt telling me about Leonard Sizemore and Joe Brinson? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, when my aunt told me that I brought it on the air, then that broke the story to, to this, uh, these times of, uh, of uh, that incident where Joe Brinson killed Leonard Sizemore I believe it was 208 or 218 Oak Street mm -hmm. in 1933. Wow. And so Joe Brinson, being a black man, he, yeah, it said death was August the 20th, 1933. Joe Brinson, a black man, he was killed by the justifiable homicide by Resistant sheriff and posse. Oh, the posse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. In the in the Carmel Free Press, um, <laughs> in the Carmel Free Press, the sheriff said, when he got word, he convened the posse. In ten minutes, he was in Carmel. And cars must have been running awfully good <laughs> mm -hmm. from Murfreesboro to Carmel. So then he gets over here to on Washington Street, where the uh, Spire Store is. You know about Spire Store? Where, which, which? Uh, just before you would get to, um, just before you would get to Italian Village. Okay, all right. From Walnut Street to Italian Village, mm -hmm. that area right there. Mm -hmm. So that's Spire Store. So Joe Branson's mother was down the hill at, uh, in her house at, um, 
what do you call it? Um, right across from Save a Lot. The uh, where the is it is it across the street where the where the currently empty building is, or is it where the where the uh, Marion uh, High Rise High Rise? Okay, All right. yeah, it, like three hundred five or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit north of it, just just a little bit north of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, point being, the sheriff goes there uh, to Joe Brinson's mother's house. She's in the bed, and Joe Brinson's brother was the same age as my aunt, 15 or 16. And uh, the sheriff said that his Joe Brinson's mother was reaching for a gun under the pillow. So anyway, he was twisting her arm, and Tony Brinson, her youngest son, was saying, Get off my mama. How he was hollering and all that. The mother's hollering and all that. So then Joe Brinson, he starts coming down from the Spire store. That's the Washington Street. Mm-hmm. On down towards the Marion thing. Mm-hmm. And they said they had a sizable truck patch at the time. So then as they shooting at him, he shoots one of the deputies by the coal shed. And then as he shot, that shooting was uh, shootout was going on. They shot him. He fell down in the uh, cornfield part of the, the truck patch area. Mm-hmm. And then the sheriff comes out and then says he shot the nigga in the head to make sure he was dead. So um, he rounded up another one of his brothers and put him in jail. They beat him and all that, you know, and run him out of town and so forth, you know. Um, but there were six people on Oak Street when Joe Brinson killed Leonard Sizemore. Mm -hmm. Leonard Sizemore was a white police officer. And he had been there, that was the third time he had been there that day. So Joe Brinson said, you've been here, uh, this is the third time you've been here, I'm not gonna give you any more money. So he was shaking the place down for not having no license, you know, bootleg. Okay. And so with him shaking the place down, and so Joe Brinson said, I'm not going to give you any more money. So then uh, uh, Leonard Sizemore said, well, you're under arrest. And he reached for his gun, and Joe Brinson beat him and shot him twice. So he fell dead there in the place. And then uh, people got to scattering, and there was another little jig joint up to closer towards Mary, closer to Washington Street. And I can't think of his name, but he uh, came down. And he saw the white officer on the floor, and they finally called the police and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then things went on to where the sheriff Chris wise of it and runs on in. And um, uh, there were six people that was there, and I think the last one just died here uh, uh, a few years ago. You know, there was they had, uh, knowledge, I mean, you know, right there. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, Paul Eccles and I, we, we talk about that and so forth. And then, like, there was another shootout uh, uh, of uh, the railroad people. And I don't know who, what complexion these people were, mm-hmm. but that was a big deal at that time as well. And then here's a guy that retired from the police. His name is Lee English. Mm-hmm. And so, 
Yeah, you got that. It's a good look. It's yeah. a good look. You got it. Lee English, um, he um, right there where the radio station is used to be a big old tree, from mm -hmm. what I understand. And uh, he had a shootout, and he killed the guy that he was shooting out shooting. But the reason this Lee English is so important after um, after the shootout with Low. Uh, Joe Brinson and Leonard Sizemore, mm -hmm. and you read the Carbonell Free Press, uh, the mayor says, well, he'll never send another white officer over there by himself, you know, and, and they got Lee English to be the Negro uh, <laughs> officer to do the Negro policing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, that wasn't a bad thing in a way, because Lee English knew the people, Yeah, and that's a good thing, and that's what needs to be done now. I asked one of the Carbondale police right uh, in today's time, a few weeks ago, you know, well, if uh, you have to move to Carbondale, you still going to be a police? He said, oh, no. He going to move. <laughs> he ain't going to be a policeman if he had to move in Carbondale. Yeah. Well, I said, well, I said, goodbye. You need to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, and that's a problem that we've got right now, right, that, you know, I think it's like four out of every five police officers we got, we got what, 65, 70 police officers, something yep. like that. Right. So yep. four out of every five police officers we've got don't even live here. Right? right. And now the other side of it is imagine even if, even if all the cops did move into town, what are they going to do? They're going to go move into a little, you know, white cordoned off part of town away from as many people as they can possibly be for the most part. I think you've got the, <clears throat> the, the gentleman and, th and this gentleman has, when I, when I wrecked my car when I was a teenager, I remember him coming out. It was a snowy evening uh, around Boskydale, uh, and he's a he's a Jackson County Sheriff. Mm. Lives over, I think, on on Marion Street. I just mm -hmm. know driving by his car. Yeah, I think he lives right next to the church or something there, right? But other than that, I mean, there's there's no real connection between uh, any sort of you know police that that operate in this town and the actual town itself as a as a relationship you yeah I, mean? I understand what you're saying but see there is something that can be done about that mm -hmm. and that's a, almost like that tiff district thing and so uh years ago um uh, i haven't followed up on it for a long time but when i was doing that teaching problems that we had in the country and certain areas in the country mm -hmm. uh they had giving stipends to teachers to move in certain areas mm -hmm. so that stipend could be applied toward police if they so wish to mm -hmm. it just takes a little bit of thought yeah not too much education mm -hmm. just some thought you know well and the the other side of it right if you if you have these people live here right there's property tax revenue that comes back to you there's you know money from buying groceries and food and going out and whatever else you know we we send we send millions of dollars out the door from our municipal body to other towns by way of simply employing a bunch of people that don't live in the town. Yep. I don't know where that would have come from, but I'm not going to worry about it. They might know I'm in here. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing the doors are locked. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, you can see that in the uh, transition of how people are coming in and out of Carbonell, uh, especially coming from the Heron area, mm -hmm. you know, coming from the east into Carbonell. But it's, it's bigger than that in a sense about just the dollars that go. It's, it's the, at the time of Lee English, 
and the Leonard Sizemore and all that stuff, there was another uh, 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 degree of policing. Mm-hmm. It was called neighborhood policing. Mm-hmm. It was uh, these these neighborhood police, or oh, I got pictures of some of them right here too. Yeah. Was, um, yeah, here they are. Uh, let me see if I can figure this out. <clears throat> well, I can't see it right there. Well you, no, no, that, that looks good. I mean, you yeah. can you can tell. And there's is it on your on what would be your left? It looks like there is there are two black police officers in this in this well, picture is that over here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, that's, that's uh Irma Hayes' husband, Bill Hayes. Uh huh. And uh, I can't think of the other person's name. And then down here, down here, yep, right yep, there, yep. is uh, uh, Fred Miller. Okay. And uh, I owe Fred Miller honorary uh, recognition as from an organization that I'm in, uh, was in, here in Carbondale. I never got it done. I'm going to do something for Fred, though. So anyway, my point is, uh, these were the auxiliary police. And these people here were then doing the things at the... Uh, uh, the basketball, uh-oh. the basketball uh, uh, games, mm-hmm. the dances, uh, somebody acting silly down the street. You didn't call these other police and so forth, you yeah. know. You called the neighbor police, and they would come, and um, you know, if you get out of hand for the neighborhood, then call this, these other police. Yeah, you know. So it's uh, so many ways of, of of going towards something. And then, but here in the last 10, 15, 20 years, it's gone to uh, military policing. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, um, and in this military policing, uh, if you got a stick, you subject to get shot. Mm-hmm. You subject to get shot if you just raise your hand. So, you know, that's just a cop out of way of, uh, of uh, they figured out, well, you know, they can't do nothing to me because I got the authority to kill you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the people feel this uh, policing with the attitude of uh, <clears throat> the old slave catchers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are really doing it in a big way and have put millions of black people in jail and millions of other people in jail. But there's been more of the black people going into the jails than the other people. Mm-hmm. And so the way the voting is controlled here and those people even feel as if they can vote, so many people come out of the penitentiary or come out of the county jail, they don't even feel as if, I'm talking about being out, walking yeah. on the street, that they can even vote because it's not encouraged that mm-hmm. they can vote. Mm-hmm. Now, a few years ago, I went to the county and asked them for uh, access to the jail to go in there to get people registered that had not been convicted and with accordance with the uh, Illinois State Election Board, if you, have, if you could be in jail and not, um, and not uh, convicted, convicted that you could then still register and vote. Mm-hmm. And Sheriff Burns uh, denied me access, you know. So it, 
we in uh, Southern Illinois. And if you look on the uh, the plane, the the uh, whatever that line is, the Mason Dixon mm -hmm. line, us, mm -hmm. we still yet south, and we're not only south both on the line, we south and we are real south in attitude, mm -hmm. and that's a problem if you ever get out of this mess. But if this community, to me, would step beyond this. racist attitude when this community would go ahead and look towards uh, bringing uh, revenue into the Solonar area. I mean, think broader than Carbondale. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it, could, it could grow to be something instead of declining to be what? Nothing. It really fell down from where it once was, you know? So um, the powers that be have really blew it. And uh, we haven't had that many people, you know, who are, um, you know, I, I got a few names of some people that, a few that I knew, a few that others had told me were the kind of people we need in the community today. You know, well, you know Hugh Modoon. Yep. I know Hugh, and uh, and I've always respected Hugh. I really, re I regret so bad that no one came to help Hugh with the continuing the parties that he used to have. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go to his parties? I've been to, I've been to one. It was, it was only in the last handful of years. Yeah. It was a Christmas party, but a a Hugh Muldoon get together was quite a special thing. Yeah. And so uh, I don't know Ron Nelson, but a person that I was asking, who should I talk about? Who, who is Ron Nelson? I mean, he, he said he's just one of those uh, progressive thinking people, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, Paul Denise, uh, Burden Bond, I knew him very well. Mm -hmm. Burden Bond, he was really into the labor. Uh, I mean, into uh, getting people into the unions and so forth. And so, now that's the big heavy subject there, talking about the uh, the unions. And then Willie Lawson from Centralia, he worked with the Urban League and um, the NAACP and contracts of the state with IDOT and all. And so he helped people get to work. I mean, you know, and he was a black man that was doing it. Then there was Reverend Lloyd Sumner. Reverend Lloyd Sumner was a minister from uh, Olivet, who was also a city council person, who was then there to be that advocate for the community, for the black community. And then his job was over there at the uh, um, uh, unemployment office. So he was privy to a lot of the core information about the work status and all. And, you know, uh, Ed and Lillian Hay, uh, Adams, Jane Adams, you know Jane Adams. Yep. With Ed and Lillian's, uh, her parents. And so <clears throat> uh, I told you the other day that Paul Simon and I, I'm living, what do you call it, posthumously? Uh, posthumously. Yeah. Yep. Well, Paul Simon well, got the award for uh, Carbondale, you know, doing the Martin Luther King thing. Mm hmm. 
the first, I, he and I at the first. And so Dr. Morris and Dr. John Renneman. And Dr. John Renneman took my cousin and her husband to, um, to uh, Edwardsville, mm -hmm. you know, and build that, you know, and look at Edwardsville. Edwardsville is the subject of past SIU Carbondale, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. It's, uh, and that, that was a, a core of people around these people and Robert Stalls and, you know, Reverend Turley. Um, David King was the mayor. Mm -hmm. uh, even Fisher was pretty good, pretty good. But um, we haven't had that. Those, the, the, that mayor, those people, and everybody that pretty much came here has come to have to look up to Dwight Morris. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The, his legacy is so that, oh boy, I'm going to Carbondale, SIU, and Dwight Morris. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, it's, it's so much that needs to be done. It's, it could be done if these people would look towards ways to doing it. And this population of, uh, of holding others back need to just go on down the road somewhere. And so that won't be until we get the power into the vote. And that's why this uh, voting at large is so harmful to the overall community mm -hmm. to where you can't negotiate to where we can do with, uh, you know, things that are not beneficial for the community. Mm -hmm. right. So, <clears throat> um, there's a whole lot of things on uh, TV, YouTube, about black history, but all of these things, all politics are local. What's our problem here in Southern Illinois? What's our problem here in Carbondale? Who is dealing with the problems of Southern Illinois and Carbondale for the benefit of the whole? Until we prioritize that list, establish that list and prioritize it, what are you doing? The spinning wheels, delaying progress? That's about all it is. And then purposely delaying the progress so that they can advance their own, their own agenda. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the key ways to see that is with this recent, under the cloak of... Um, the virus, using the virus to hide progress, information, participation, a democratic process in dealing with affirmative action. This city denied and the community to have that input to show what the uh, uh, affirmative action plan is. How does it compare to Kansas City? How does it compare to Philadelphia? How does it compare with the National Labor Relations suggestions for affirmative action? Who has laid these things out? And when did the city say, people, if you need clergy, bring them. If you got lay, use them. But the city denied 
the population of the community to be included in the direction of how affirmative action is to be formed in Carbondale. So, uh, the first time I ran for uh, city council, as I didn't make it then, probably won't make it now either, but um, someone said, well, he won't play ball. I ain't in that game. I'm trying to do a better game, you know? And uh, this, to go forth, do better, gonna have to change the change, gonna have to change. And I mean, you know, we've had a whole lot of hoping. I hope this, I hope that, but we ain't seen much of a change, and that's what we need. A change, as Sam Cook said, has got to come. Someday. <laughs> and that is episode 41 with Melvin Pepper Holder, a candidate for City Council Carbondale 2021. But much more important than that, a, uh, a torchbearer of history uh, and knowledge in this town. Uh, and this is only one conversation. I imagine we could probably have a few more in the future. Uh, but for now, we'll just leave it at the usual end. Have a good one, folks. Whatever that one may be. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad to have had you, Pepper. Thank you.